The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. You know, at DoorDash, we collect hundreds of millions of data points. And we have to know about every pothole, every parking spot. Pothole, really? Yeah, that may slow down traffic. Or every parking spot that make a delivery last a little or take a little bit longer. There's this idea out there that today's consumers are lazy, and that's why we're getting stuff delivered all the time. The thing is, I don't know about you, but the reason why I'm ordering so much delivery is because I'm so busy. That's where DoorDash comes in. The company was cooked up by four students at Stanford four and a half years ago. One of the four, Tony Hsu, is the company's 33-year-old CEO. I'm John Fort from CNBC, and you're listening to the Fort Knox podcast, Rich Ideas and Powerful People. We are doing this weekly, bringing you the highest achievers, and we're going to learn how the very best climb to the top and pull out lessons along the way. If that sounds good to you, make this a habit. Apple's podcast app is the most popular way to tune in, but there are all kinds of ways. Mainly, I want you to subscribe, and the internet can do the work for you. Tony Hsu was in New York recently after raising a monster round of funding, $535 million. I sat down with him at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square to find out what he's really building and why he thinks he can beat Grubhub, Amazon, Google, and a lot more rivals lining up to take him on. Here's Tony Hsu. I ordered DoorDash for some chips and guac, so That's feel free. That's awesome. If you, if you like, I figured. Where did you order from? Um, let's see, the place, let me open up DoorDash and... I had never ordered from this place before. Oh, Al Horno Lean Mexican Kitchen. Okay. I got to check that one out. Yeah. I forgot to order salsa separately, I guess. Mm. I got a burrito, but no salsa. So, rookie mistake. <laughs> um, you're in New York. Yes. And whenever big startup CEOs that have raised hundreds of millions of dollars come to New York, I got to ask, you gearing up for an IPO? Well, the plan for DoorDash has n never really changed, you know, with any financing. It really has always been about uh, building on the mission we laid out four years ago, which is to become the last mile logistics platform for every city. Financing events, whether it's in the public or private markets, uh, they are steps along the way. Um, but this, you know, recent financing uh, doesn't really change much for us. Tell me about the latest financing, because it's a lot of money and what you're going to do with it. We just raised our Series D financing from three large investors, SoftBank, Sequoia Capital, and GIC. And the goal of the financing, uh, which was a, a fairly significant um, investment, is really to accelerate growth. First, it's really to add to the selection of restaurants that we have. So you named a restaurant that I haven't checked out before. We have over 100,000 stores on DoorDash, and so there are many more that I have yet to discover. We want to keep adding to that. Today, we serve 90% of the top 100 restaurants that offer delivery, but there are a lot more um, businesses out there that we want to serve, as well as adding to the businesses we currently do serve. Second, we want to grow our geography. So you'll see DoorDash triple its footprint in 2018. Triple in 2018. From 600 to over 1,600 cities. 
Wow, across, in one year. Across the U.S., yes, uh, and Canada. So we've got a lot of work ahead of us. And the final thing is to invest in DoorDash Drive, which is the product that allows any merchant to offer their own delivery through their own website, their own phone system, their own app. It really is a platform product that allows DoorDash to serve a restaurant or any merchant, whether it's in retail or any other vertical. Did you pick up on that? This year, Tony and his team are building out software that allows DoorDash to serve merchants outside of just food. Maybe they could deliver dry cleaning or new clothes or order from the hardware store. That's just me spitballing, not what he told me. It gets to the fact that the founding idea of the company isn't just about food. And it's not even just about delivery. We started the company really to help local businesses and delivery is the first service that we're offering these merchants and, and speaking of inefficiencies, there are quite a lot in the delivery world. First of all, uh, only 5% of restaurant takeout sales are even online today. 95% of the time people are still placing a phone call or visiting a store in person. And so the first thing we're doing is providing the, te the technology to bring these local businesses into the digital economy. Mm. And the second thing we're doing is we're helping these uh, restaurants meet customers where they are. And you know, today, in every city, any zip code, people are getting only busier. And as a result, they're looking for convenient solutions to any commodity that they're dealing with or that they purchase. And so for a service like DoorDash, we're also offering the logistics to these merchants so that they can meet customers where they are. You grew up in Champaign, Illinois. I did. I what grew, was that like? Uh, growing up in Champaign, uh, it, it's a small town feel. And you know, I, I, my, my family emigrated here uh, from China when I was five. I think in some ways it was um, it was the best that it, you know um, uh, that I could have asked for because it really was a very insulated town uh, of you know thirty thousand people at the time, and and there was a big university and so I could you know get my hands on Apple computers to you know the latest in aeronautical you know engineering which is what my dad you know studied and later taught at the university, um, and also it gave me the, just you know the chance to to be a kid, and w which uh, I, I found to be you know, more difficult these days in, in different parts of the US. You're a curious kid, though. You taught yourself English? I did. I taught myself English. How, did, how do you do that? Uh, so there was an ESL in, in, in the elementary school that I, that I okay, went to. OK, no specified English as a second language track. That's right. No, at that time. That's right. That's right. And so, um, I, and I grew up, you know, fairly, uh, fairly poor. And so, we, uh, my family didn't necessarily have the means to to, to get me a tutor uh, to, to learn English. But uh, I learned English by doing two things. I I, uh, I played a lot of basketball, and that was one way I learned English. And the other way was actually just by watching TV, <laughs> and uh, that's how I came up with my name. So you know, I watched a lot of Tony Danza, who's, who's the, the boss, boss? growing mm. up. And when I found out that nobody could pronounce my name, uh, which is which is Xu Xing in Chinese, um, uh, fairly difficult for a lot of my classmates to pronounce at the time. Um, I went with my dad to the immigration office to, to change my name to Tony. <laughs> huh? Did your parents take uh, names in English also, or no? They, uh, my mom did. My dad did not. Um, my my in-laws originally from South Korea immigrated here, and so there's okay. Whole, you know, so you know what American it's about. Name. I do. Um, tell me about that transition that your parents made from China to here, because your your mom was practicing Eastern medicine, right, in yes. China, and came here, and initially at least, 
she didn't have the capital or the market to continue doing that. She had to do something else. That's right. So uh, I was born to classic immigrants, um, and you know my family moved to this country with three hundred dollars or, or less in our bank account. My dad was getting his PhD at the University of Illinois and working full-time as a waiter. And my mom, to support the family, worked multiple jobs. But she was really working multiple jobs, one of which, which was in a restaurant, um, so that she could save up enough money to uh, afford the medical education to get back her license. Because she had effectively lost her license moving from China, where she was a doctor in Eastern medicine. But when she immigrated to the U.S., and that license was no longer recognized. And so she was saving up money in the various jobs, both to you know, put food on the table and support the family, but also to never give up on her dream. And you know, after about 12 Her dream, which was? To go back to practicing medicine. And so she later on, you know, after 12 years of saving money, was able to uh, you know, have enough capital to actually open her medical clinic. And that's the one she still runs today. What are some of the jobs that she did? She, my, my mom uh, worked at, uh, as a waitress um, at, at a restaurant, um, babysitting, uh, and um, a lot of odd, odd and jobs in between. And you helped her out at the restaurant? I helped her out at the restaurant where she progressed from a waitress to a, to a store manager and, and later on as a part-time owner. Uh, I didn't do any of the glamorous stuff. I, I, I wasn't... Uh, Is there a glamorous stuff? Uh, <laughs> fair point. Uh, <laughs> but I, I'll put it this way. I wasn't old enough to, to, to work in the front of the house. So... Uh, wash dishes, you know, and uh, bus tables. Did you know your mom's plan all along? Because at part of this point where she's working her way back to her dream, you were pretty young. I don't know if she was sharing that. Did you know where all this was headed? I, I didn't know all of the details at the time, uh, but it, it, it really is a remarkable story, you know, and, and inspiration for me, um, you know, looking back on it. Um, uh, I found out about it later when I was in high school, and, and that's when she know, f first made the move to actually taking the risk and becoming an entrepreneur herself and opening up her medical clinic. Uh, that's when I actually discovered the, the full story. And she worked into being a part owner and then traded in her equity stake uh, for startup capital for her business. That's exactly right. And that's right around the time when you were, what, getting ready to go to college? Yeah, that's exactly right. So I, I was... Um, uh, my family moved from the Midwest to, to, to the Bay Area when I was uh, in, the, in the middle of high school. Hmm. And, uh, Why? Uh, my dad uh, is a, also a very curious person. <laughs> and somehow, you know, he, he um, got bored in the world of aeronautical engineering, you know, building, robot, uh, building rockets and designing the engines in these rockets somehow wasn't enough for him. And so mm -hmm. he decided to see what the world in Silicon Valley looked like. And this was in the late 90s. And so there's a lot of opportunity. I think yeah. you went to the, uh, you, you were in the Valley at that time. Yeah, 1999. Yeah. Uh, I, I first made my way to Silicon Valley from Kentucky, also from okay. the Midwest. Yeah, I've been working there at a paper. So. There you go. Yeah, it was definitely the land of opportunity for a few more years. At yeah. Least. <laughs> yeah, so my dad didn't know about what was to come either. However, uh, you know, he um, you know, applied some of what he had done in aeronautical engineering into the world of designing uh, very small chips uh, at Intel. Uh -huh. And so that, that's ultimately how my family moved to the West Coast. Uh, and that's ultimately you know, when my mom decided to you know, sell her stake in the restaurant and take that capital to open up her medical clinic. Talk to me about DoorDash and the workforce, because it, it seems to me like a lot of the dashers there uh, 
and I guess technically many of those aren't your employees, but a lot of the people who are working with you in this business are also working up to something else, similar to the way your family was for so many years. A absolutely. So there are over 250,000 dashers on the platform today. Uh, you're right, they're, they're uh, independent contractors. And you're also right in saying that, you know, the vast, vast majority of them, you know, do not see their, uh, what they plan on doing full time as, as doing deliveries. You know, they have aspirations to become future doctors, future aeronautical engineers, future entrepreneurs, uh, future college graduates, and you know, we, we play a small role in helping them along the way. And uh, it, it's amazing to see some of their stories, you know, whether it's the dasher uh, in Boston who actually doesn't need any other income but is dashing purely so that, um, it, it, you know, he and his partner can found a nonprofit in Haiti. Um, or the dasher uh, that I met more recently in, in San Francisco, who actually is dashing so that he can save up enough money to start his own business. I want to go back to PaloAltoDelivery.com. Okay. Right? When you guys first got started, like, what did you think you were making, and how big did you think it could be? So we started. We, we started the uh, the project for DoorDash, uh, and, and and you're referencing in PaloAltoDelivery.com. It, we built that project in 45 minutes and launched on a Saturday um, on campus at Stanford. And the goal back then was, was actually a, a very small example, but, but the vision was always the same, which was to build a company to serve uh, businesses and to help them uh, you know, grow beyond their four walls and, and, and to do it in a way that matched where uh, consumers' expectations as well as te technological trends um, were happening. And there were three of you, right? Uh, there were four, four of us. Four of you. Yes. Do you need four people to launch Palo Alto Delivery? Why were the four of you working together on this? The founding team met because of that passion for local businesses. I, I didn't necessarily want to become an entrepreneur. Like were you in class together? What was? We, we were friends on campus at yeah. Stanford first. Um, we met in uh, several classes, uh, but PaloAltoDelivery.com was started off of one of those classes. Which one? Uh, it was a class called Startup Garage. Underneath food ordering and delivery, there's technology, data, Math is arguably Tony's first love, and he believes that by being smarter about lots of little data points, he'll be able to outsmart the competition overall. You have talked about data uh, basically ending arguments. Um, the information, the raw information you have about how the system's working, what's working, what's not, how long it takes to do X, Y, Z, um, the problems that you're able to fix in one uh, city helping you in another. Talk to me about the culture of management in the company and how you sort of built that up because it, I mean, none of you had really done this before. That's right. So I didn't start my career with much, or, or my career at DoorDash with much experience in management, but I knew a thing or two about numbers. And, you know, one of the things that we believe at DoorDash is that information should be free. And that allows um, people to have the same, you know, uh, information and context to make a decision. It also allows us to go fast. Information should be free. Yeah, and uh, like it, within the organization, you're not publishing all your numbers for information to should see. be free within the organization, right, okay. so that e everyone can make decisions. So one of the early things that we did um, was we, we taught uh, SQL 
uh, to especially folks who did not have a background in programming or in engineering. That way, everyone could get access to the data. Everyone could write their own queries um, to find information that they needed to make decisions um, you know, for the business. As a result, we moved very fast that way, and, and it's, it's how we um, you know, uh, really made in practice true the approach of saying data and insights win arguments. What did you find or learn that you wouldn't have found or learned as quickly if you hadn't given everybody access to, to query the data? What kinds of things? Pretty much every facet of the business um, is built by people. Uh, even the algorithms, the machine learning that we apply to all of the models that, that now we have um, collected and trained, all of that work is built by people. And, and companies, DoorDash you know, included, uh, really are a, um, just a collection of people and the decisions that they make. And so um, the, the more that we can spread that information, the faster we can make decisions, the faster that we can learn both the right and the wrong things so that we can keep moving our way towards success. And but so like what, are, are you seeing that people's tastes are turning toward burritos in a certain town or at a certain time of day? And does that allow you to try to get more of certain kinds of restaurants on the platform? Or the, you know, is it telling you that you need more dashers in a certain area? Like, are there things like that that you, were, that you were finding that maybe you wouldn't have queried the data for, but somebody else in the company did and said, hey, Tony, we really ought to be doing X, Y, Z, and here's why. Absolutely. So, for example, we, we saw so all those macro um, categories that you listed about what restaurants should we add to the DoorDash platform, to how many dashers, in which vehicle types, in what zip codes, you know, um, should we try to recruit for? Uh, what types of uh, consumers are out there, and what are their preferences in terms of when they order and how many times they may order? Those are all things discovered uh, through the different people and the power that you know they were equipped with when they could you know query the database. When you started out, you had a Google Voice number. We did that, so somebody would call in because they wanted you know to order some food, and it would ring all your phones, and whoever got it first, that's I right, guess, would, would take the order. But along this time, the smartphone became uh, really the key device for. Um, mobile ordering, mobile delivery, for being able to solve that sort of dispatch and connection problem. How did you incorporate that into your vision? And was there a point where your vision shifted and you had to go, all right, well, you know, this Google Voice number was cool for a while, but we got to do this in an entirely different way? Well, the Google Voice number uh, was just used to test whether or not there was demand right. you know, for the service. <laughs> and, and so it really was a hack in that regard. It's something that allowed us to get up and running quickly. You know, the question in my mind was, is it just New York City that wants delivery? <laughs> or or you know, um, does there exist delivery, or could there exist delivery outside of New York City? Um, but you know, regarding the point of mobile, DoorDash would not be here. And the technologies with regards to DoorDash, um, as well as many other companies, uh, similar to DoorDash um, would not be possible without um, the power of a computer inside your pocket, and and and, on, and and you listed a couple of them. You know, on, on the consumer front, we are in a time now very similar to where e-commerce was in the mid two thousands. 
um, and, and in terms of how it was really adding convenience to the retail experience mm -hmm. in the restaurant world. That's where we are today. It's just happening faster because people have had now 10 years of practice and a head start, if you will, in terms of buying through wh whichever devices are at their fingertips. On the Dasher front, it used to be in the days of you know delivering pizza. So I delivered pizza for uh, you know Domino's for uh, for a little bit, uh, studying you know how deliveries worked. What, what years were you? It, how it, old were you? It, it was really measured in weeks, I would say. Okay. Uh, uh, in so 2013, is, in the beginning. So, so this is when you were starting not that DoorDash. Long ago, you know, the market research. You, you delivered pizza. There, there, yeah, <laughs> the, 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 the deliveries and, and checking in, checking out. You know, was still sometimes done by paper, um, or phone calls. How do you digitize the physical world with paper or phone calls? You know, at DoorDash, we collect hundreds of millions of data points. And we have to know about every pothole, every parking spot. Pothole, really? Yeah, that may slow down traffic. Or every parking spot that make a delivery last a little or take a little bit longer. Every uh, uh, store's... Um, uh, operations in terms of where is the kitchen how fast or slow is business that day hmm. and all of that information you know now can be digitized for the first time really because of the power of mobile um, you're, you're capturing all of this information and I guess you're using it in a way that allows you to say hey we're gonna triple our uh, number of cities that we're addressing in, in 2018 what are the various types of things that you had to know and know that you know to feel confident that you could set that kind of ambitious goal? At DoorDash, one of the things that we try to do very quickly is run a lot of tests that are not scalable so that we can figure out what the scalable playbook may look like. For example? So for example, when we launch a city, as we're talking about cities, there is today a 57-item checklist, literally, that our launch team uses to launch a market. And we can do that in our sleep. And we can do what that. What are a couple things on the checklist? One, figure out um, which, which restaurants offer takeaway but not delivery in the categories that we found popular mm. in cities that resemble the one that we're about to launch, for example. Two, uh, where might we recruit the dashers? Uh, are they coming from the college community? Are they coming from the retail world? So on and so forth. Mm. And so those activities are now um, indoctrinated into all of our practices, our products, as well as you know the, the the documents that people are sharing back and forth, and so that playbook allows us to move really fast because we've seen it work. We've seen it work 600 times. We're in 600 cities today, <laughs> so it's not like we haven't done this before. And so when we say something like we want to roll out 1,000 incremental cities, we feel very good about it because we've done it before. What are a couple of cities that you'd want to call out? where we should look for DoorDash in the next in the next few months in 2018. In the next few months. Yeah. Cuz you're I mean a thousand of them, right? On the board. What what kinds of what kind of cities should we look for you in? There are, th there are many cities coming. We we just launched Mississauga, uh, w which is just outside of Toronto. Um, you will see us uh, uh, very excited all, uh, about all parts of the US, you know, whether it's, you know, Portland out in the in, in the West Coast. Um, you know, to you know, New Orleans um, mm. in, in, in the South, to Richmond, Virginia. On Is there the, a lot uh, of delivery East. in New Orleans? Because that would seem like a big opportunity to me. There is appetite everywhere. <laughs> but the food is great there. The food is great. 
Everyone wants convenience, and, I, and, and that really is, is where we are today. It's still very early. Again, you know, I know we're in New York, so <laughs> everyone in New York City is, is a bit ahead, so to speak, in, in the delivery game. But At least in that game, yes. In the delivery <laughs> game. In the delivery game. Um, but, you know, outside of New York City, 90% of restaurants still don't deliver. And, and so there's a long ways to go um, before uh, we are able to offer the convenience um, that New York has always seen. What does your mom think of DoorDash? My mom's excited, you know, for DoorDash. I, uh, she, I think she still somewhat wishes that I had finished my PhD in math, <laughs> uh, but she's very excited for DoorDash. And how's her business doing? Her business is great. She still runs that medical clinic. I, it's her 19th year now. Wow. It's amazing. It, it, uh, you know, DoorDash is four and a half years old, so we, we got a ways to go before uh, we turn 19, but she certainly is an inspiration. Tony, thanks. Thanks, John. It's so clear to me after more than a year that variations on the immigrant story play so powerfully into success. It doesn't have to be literal immigration. Uh, Danny Govberg was my guest last week and his grandfather was an immigrant, but Danny traces his business story through that thread. My mother left the segregated South to start a career in New York more than 50 years ago. I trace my story through that bold adventure into strange territory. I'm John Ford from CNBC. This has been Fort Knox, rich ideas and powerful people. Subscribe on Apple's podcast app or wherever fine podcasts are distributed. Check out the reviews on iTunes. Maybe leave me one of your own. Also, subscribe to the Fort Knox channel on YouTube. That's F-O-R-T-T-K-N-O-X.com slash YouTube. Follow me, John Fort, on Facebook and Twitter. There you'll see video from some of these interviews, and you can say hi to me live, usually Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern. There I tackle some of the most interesting business and economic issues with a little help from my friends at CNBC and from you. Just go to YouTube and search for Fort Knox or go to Facebook or Twitter and search for John Fort follow me. You'll figure out what to do from there. Meanwhile, share this. Tell a friend. Drop me a note on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, or FortKnox.com or LinkedIn. Hey, I love to hear from you guys on LinkedIn. Do that. And as always, thank you for lending an ear. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.